Hey everyone, it's Matt and Lucas. We got a quick announcement for you. As some of you may have noticed, we've been kind of alluding to revamping the website a little bit um, and adding some new content on there. Super excited to announce as of this episode, we are officially live with the website. Go check it out. Thanks for playing .live. We got a lot of exciting written content on there from everything covering from, you know, our reviews like on Hogwarts Legacy, some think pieces, some reviews on games we're not even going to do for the podcast, but exclusive to the website like uh, Destiny 2's Lightfall and a lot of other great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's very exciting. You know, uh, it's been a lot of work basically this year. Matt and I made it a big goal for the podcast to actually have more written content out there. Um, you know, for those of you who've been listening for a while, we've always been in growth mode, you know, trying to promote the yes. pod, trying to get our voices out there. And thanks for playing Dot .live. Um, we're looking to turn into a real content-driven website with, one, all of our regular reviews that we do. So you could always check there for basically the written version of every review we do for this podcast. But additional reviews that we don't have time for for the podcast that are covered by a wide variety of our contributors. Um, Hot Mickey, as you know, a contributor uh, Chambers, who's been on this, um, producer Sam, um, Hyalette, Orion, a uh, lot of great people, including some new voices who maybe you guys haven't heard of before. So check out Thanks for Playing Live for the latest and greatest in video game, nerd culture, movie, TV content. And we hope to see you there. Now for the episode. Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. The podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. Oh! Woo! Got a fun one today. We do, we do. Got a really fun one today, actually. We have a really exciting interview coming up with Trevor Youngblood, a lead developer slash designer, as I understand it, for Rivals 2, and then designer on Rivals of Aether. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, that is a platform fighting game, very similar in vain to Smash Brothers, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. And just a really awesome interview. Shout out to Hot Mickey for getting us in touch with Trevor. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you played Rivals, Matt? Rivals of Aether? I Not like a lot, but mm. when it first came out, I was playing a bit and then I realized I was really bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can only take being bad at one platform fighter. So yeah, yeah. I yeah. will say for for the audience, um, and this this is a plug. We, we like the game. That's why we wanted to interview yeah. Trevor too. I mean, it we appreciate game. the game quite a bit. It's a good game. Appreciate people to check it out. Just quick Google search, download it. Um, one of the things that Trevor actually said is wishlisting it too on Steam. Wishlisting the sequel, which is Rivals Two, coming out, fully updated engine, brand new game, looks really really awesome. Um, so excited to see that coming out, hopefully in uh, 2024. But Rivals is a great game. Rivals of Aether is an awesome platform fighter. Um, as far as platform fighters go, it's probably the best one outside of Smash. And we've played a lot of them. Yeah, absolutely. And Trevor, you know, really smart guy, had a lot of insight. You know, if anyone is inter has ever been interested in game dev and particularly just kind of the the science behind how you make a fighting game, right? And kind of the nuances that go on behind that, uh, you're in for a treat with this interview. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's kick it to ourselves. Awesome. Enjoy the interview, everyone. All right, everyone, we got a very special episode for you here today. We have an exciting interview with Trevor Youngblood. Trevor is one of the lead developers over at Rivals of Aether. I believe has been with them since the inception of it. Uh, Trevor, how's it going? 
pretty good. Yeah, I've, I've been working with Rivals for like eight years now. It's Man, hard to believe right. it's been eight years already. Yeah. So yeah. day one, right? Uh, not day one. So okay. there were four characters when I joined. So the first four came in and then I joined when we had Forsburn was the first one. I gotcha. Oh, really yeah. cool. Okay. Really cool. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, Trevor. Um, big question. Probably one of the most important ones just to get out of the way at the front. Favorite game, and you can't say Rivals of Aether. I know, I know this. This is the best game ever. Is Outer Wilds? Oh yes, yo, yes, okay, okay, great. great. We're off to a great start. Best game ever, and the DLC is just as good as the base game, and that's the best part. Oh, we haven't played the DLC yet. We actually did Outer Wilds for this podcast. Like it was like our second episode. Yeah, yeah, we we love that game. Ah, yeah, man. Okay, great. Yeah. Probably the best answer we've had so far, huh, Matt? Honestly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we get people just saying like really just like normie stuff. Then Trevor comes in here hot. Like, oh, yeah, that's it. great. Uh, <laughs> the, the DLC for that was kind of like almost like there's NPC. It's like stealth almost, isn't it? Am I remember? Yeah, it, it yeah. almost turned into a horror game. It that's what I heard. Like, like it was ah. very, very different from the base game. Yeah. I heard that threw some fans off, but I mean, it's also just like a hella unique experience. So. Yeah, so that's good. awesome. <laughs> oh man, cool. great answer. Um, you want to hit him with the next one, Matt? You want me to? You want me to ask this this hard this hardball one? Oh, you man. Okay, Hardest okay. Ball. So, Trevor, I know that you've been in the Smash Bros. space for a long time. I think we've been in the same room together. We we're talking about it right before we hit record here. Um, we've probably been to some of the same Project M Smash Bros. tournaments. Um, Project M or Melee? Oh, Which PM. One you, PM. I, I love Melee. Don't get me wrong. Melee is my favorite to watch, but I am so bad at it. <laughs> it's so much harder like, so pm pm main is. melee main which ones you got uh, i do captain falcon in both yeah. oh hell yeah dude oh my <laughs> gosh the interview's off to an amazing start <laughs> <laughs> that uh that's like a, a through line i've noticed with a lot of smash players if if you're pm centric like you you prefer playing pm because it just kind of like it's a bit more forgiving the controls and everything yeah. but for as like a spectator sport melee is just a bit more i think faster paced a bit yeah. more uh bit more fun to watch and it's like the the skill level is like it's a little bit higher you know just the average just because there's so many more people playing that you're gonna get more good people there yeah there's just more melee stuff generally Mm -hmm. you know there's more melee tournaments they're bigger it's still you know has a lot of pull from like a lot of the gods that are still playing the game and stuff like that but yeah Awesome, and the man. meta has truly developed too, because there's no like patches or anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's your um? Wait, real quick before we move on to the next one, Matt. What's your um, Trevor? What's like you know? What's the highest you've gotten on like a PR or regional? Are you like? Oh, let me see. How, where, where, how how high did you get in like Big Balk? You made it out of pools, or you oh, made no. far bracket? No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Not even close. But I've been PR'd now in I think three states. I was number okay, nice four in Colorado. I think the highest I got in Washington was like seven, and I currently seven in Dallas. Oh, nice. Okay, so yeah. still attending locals, regionals out there in oh, Dallas. Yeah. Oh, For nice. Sure. How's the scene? Uh, Dallas scene's great. We're actually like, so I moved back uh, like a year ago, and since then we've just like steadily been getting more and more players out, and it's it's actually sick. Nice. That's awesome. great. That's yeah. great, man. Yeah, it's it's more than can be said for some regions of the country when it comes to PM, unfortunately. Um, yes. <laughs> that's that's really cool to hear that it's it's growing a little bit. Did you ever um, play? So we got, we actually have a lot of Smash Bros players on our podcast network. So one of them is Teals or Mickey, mm-hmm. who um, who's actually on this podcast pretty regularly. Um, you ever play Teals? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've played. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. Who, who's, who's ahead in sets? Oh, zero. Me, zero. <laughs> him, I think two, two or three, probably. 
Oh, man. No, he's, he's way better. <laughs> I think uh, Mickey, well, Teal's Mickey, you know, for those of you listening, he's mm-hmm. he's got, he got really, really, really good at a certain point. But there was a point, believe it or not, where me and Matt were spanking him in PM. I know. It was, uh, it was, it was awesome. crazy. Yeah, it was at a great balconies, time. At the OG balconies. Yeah. He was playing Roy. I was playing Ganon. And then he just starts just started playing Meta Knight, and it was just very quickly yep. downhill from there. We yeah. really miss those days quite a bit, Trevor. Believe us. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's Trevor. Fun I want to catch a really good player like earlier in their career, and you're like, oh yeah, man, wow, so good. Oh, and then dude. they get better. they get way good later. You're like, you know, back in you know, the day. I, I'm ahead. Of, I'm ahead in sets of that guy. Yeah, yeah, I haven't played him in a few years, but I'm ahead. <laughs> it's inspiring in many ways. Um, so, Trevor, obviously, you know, you're working right now on Rivals of Aether and then Rivals of Aether two. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of this might be off, you know, I was kind of just talking your LinkedIn, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand. So you did comp sci at SMU and then you got your master's in kind of game and interactive media. And then was rivals your first big kind of game dev job right after that? Yep. I actually got hired before I graduated. Really? Oh, nice. Yeah. So I got hired like the last semester of my senior year. Cause me and Dan, uh, I went to GDC with SMU. So they, they do like a, a trip with the game dev program. They bring us to GDC and like help us network and stuff. Uh, and I met Dan there cause he was, he had a booth set up. I came up there and I beat him and I was like, Hey, now you, gotta give me a <laughs> you job. beat him at, at rivals at the <laughs> yeah. booth. Oh, wow. Had you yeah. played it? Had you played the no. game a little bit? No. Oh, no. you just, uh, just the, the smash talent just kind of yeah. shine through a little bit. It, nice. it really does transfer pretty well. It's mm-hmm. nice. Does yeah, like a lot of the footsies and the general kind of, I think neutral is really what is mm-hmm. the through line right. there. Yeah. So, you know, I know you did like a little bit of an internship at, um, I think it was Sabre airlines, but, For, you know, obviously you went to school for game dev, which is awesome. And then on top of that, just to get additional experience, were there any side projects you ever worked on or how did you really build up your resume? Because obviously, you know, you beat the the main guy, which is like, (laughs) you were beating Pegasus and then you, you got to get the car. Yeah. That's like, that's like game or that's like prereq one. But Mm -hmm. you know, what else did you do? Did you have a portfolio at that point? What else did you do to show that you were really like, Hey, I'm the guy for the job. So what it was, was, so first I had the smash experience and you know, that, that is a a big plus for wanting to work on rivals. Uh, but then, so rivals one was made in game maker, which I had been using since seventh grade. So, I had like, oh, how many years is that? You know, it's a long time. I've been using Game Maker for a very long time now. And, uh, you know, it's just that experience plus the Smash. And Dan was at a point where he was ready to hire another programmer. So I was like, perfect timing. Nice. Yeah, and it just worked out. So really, I didn't have much of a resume besides that. So Game like, Maker is is it still in Game Maker right now or the first iteration was in Game Maker? Just just the first one. Uh, oh, okay. in Unreal. Okay, yeah, it looks. It looks. I mean, obviously, with the graphic overhaul, yeah. I was assuming it was a different mm-hmm. one. But Rivals One currently is is still in game, like as it mm-hmm. currently stands with the yes. pixel art style. Dang, yeah, I think um, the only thing that comes to mind is probably Hyperlight Drifters, like Game Maker, but not a ton yeah. of not a ton of games are are running oh, Game Maker these know. days. Yeah, yeah, I I um, still love Game Maker. Like, yeah, it, you know, it's not the most powerful engine, but it's it's got some cool stuff, and I think for two D engines, it's still one of the best out there. Nice. Do you have experience with, um, you know, obviously the uh, big ones, Unreal, Unity, and things like that? I mean, has the um, Unreal kind of come through a lot more with uh, the development yeah. of Rivals too? Yeah. So I at uh, Guildhall SMU's uh, grad school, they did um, they did a lot of Unreal. We had like one project in Unity, and I I really don't like Unity, but, <laughs> but oh, we man. had a lot in Unreal, and it was really fun, and it, it just feels more natural, I guess, because C plus plus is the language that I like. I know C plus plus, like that's that's my language, 
And that's what Unreal is, you know, using for the most part. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. What what um what makes you say that you don't like Unity that much? I don't know. Something about like the default physics engine in Unity. There's something wrong with it. And I, I can't <laughs> put my finger on it. It's like you move around and I don't know. I, we had to do a, like a 2D side scroller project in Unity. And I basically was so frustrated with the physics engine in there that I just wrote my own. And I was like, I shouldn't have to do this. Yeah. Yeah. How are you feeling about just the direction that Unreal's heading with, you know, are, are you guys on five or four for the for Rivals 2? So we were are you allowed to say <laughs> I, yeah. I am allowed to say because I have spent the last like seven months converting the game from Unreal 4 to Unreal 5. And oh, that's basically wow. all I've been doing for so long. And it's it's coming like we're almost done with it now. So we're almost done porting everything that we had over to the new engine, nice. which is uh, I'm so ready. That's great. That's great. I noticed, I mean, just the, the recent just press that Unreal 5, you know, that they've shown about Unreal mm-hmm. 5. I mean, it's such a such an awesome engine. It looks amazing. Yeah. So I think the that, big one doing the rounds right now is the like the body cam shooter. Yeah. One. Have you, you guys do any body cam stuff? Oh, for Rivals? Could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> with body cam? <laughs> so so it's been just like using the engine to basically its fullest fidelity in terms of graphics and stuff like mm-hmm. that. You're not you're not putting your face out there and doing like the face models and things like that. No, for, no. For we're, we're using some some of the like new Unreal Five tools, but nothing nothing too crazy yet. Gotcha, gotcha. Maybe in the future. <laughs> uh, so before I think I think we skipped a pretty big part of the recording, Matt. I, I think people for the audience that's listening to our podcast that has never played Rivals of Aether. I think we need a quick pitch on Rivals of Aether. I think we forgot to do that part. Um, so before, and then I do want to transition into asking a lot about platform fighters as a whole, which um, is a genre that's really emerged, and I think Rivals has really helped kind of bring to the forefront. Um, tell us about what Rivals of Aether is. Like, you know, if I had to describe the game to somebody who's never played it before. So it's a 2D pixel art Smash Bros. style fighting game, uh, a platform fighter, if you will. Uh, that really focuses on aggression um, because we don't have shields, we don't have ledges, we don't have grabs. So it's it's all about m- using your movement to avoid attacks instead of you know blocking and playing defensive like that. Um, and yeah, it's it's uh, got a lot of characters. And oh, I guess one big part of it is a bunch of elemental animals fighting each other. That's like our you know our visual. The lore. The the flavor of it all, yeah. Talk us real quick through the rivals of either like lore. You know, what do we? What kind of world are we living in? What are we playing in right now? Uh, right. The world of ether has the fire. It's got four elements: fire, water, earth, air. They're different nations that fight against each other. You know, Avatar style. Okay, yeah, I was <laughs> gonna say that's pretty familiar. Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of you know. This story is not why I you know joined the team, but it's, <laughs> it's part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it it seems like there's a strong flavor element to it all. I mean, (laughs) more more flavor than there is in something like multiverses, right? No shade to Mm -hmm. multiverses straight up. But, you know, it definitely feels like there's a little bit more flavor in something like Rivals of Aether. I think in your guys' logline, like your main selling point for the game, the the world that it is in with the four elements is actually kind of part of Mm -hmm. the 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 title, like right underneath the game. So that's pretty cool. Um, Sorry, Matt, go ahead. Uh, You want to jump into the platform fighter renaissance? Yeah, so, you know, I think over the past really kind of seven, eight, ten years around that, we've seen kind of what you were saying earlier, like a lot of Smash games have been making Smash, right? Whether that was Brawlhalla, Slap City, um, Nickelodeon, All-Star Brawl, more recently Multiverse. <laughs> and I think there was even another, like, 
one specifically for there's a playstation one from years playstation all-stars yeah um (laughs) point is over the past you know seven eight years we've seen a lot of these kind of games come out probably more so than we had previously as well do you think that that this is more of just a fad and everyone's trying to kind of capitalize on the platform fighter genre in the same way we see a million you know battle royale clones come out or is this something that's kind of going to really kind of dominate the uh fgc community moving forward Mm. I don't know about dominate the FGC community, but I, I do think there's some amount of like, oh, this game was, you know, this genre is getting popular. Let's let's cash in on it. But I think something like like multiverses, for instance, you know, Smash has the unique thing of they have all these characters that everybody knows. And that's what that's what multiverses, you know, could leverage with you know their WB licensing stuff. Um, and I think that's part of the stuff that makes it hard to break out into the you know, the platform fighting genre. It's because you have to keep up with Nintendo and they have a pretty big head start. Right. But I, I'm, I don't think, I wouldn't call any of the games like like Nick All-Stars, I wouldn't call that like a cash grab because I actually, I've you know, I've talked to the devs a little bit uh, and their heart really is in it. Mm-hmm. Like I know that they're not just trying to like make a, make a game, you know, just for the money, just to get Nickelodeon's money. And, you know, it's, I like it. I like yeah. I like the direction that it's going because the more diversity we get in the genre, the more we break away from that like Smash clone, uh, you know, mentality like, like the yeah, Smash yeah. clone headline of it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I gotcha, I gotcha. What do you, What do you think? You know, in terms of, obviously, Multiverses has been sort of on a negative news cycle with like mm-hmm. losing a lot of its kind of early you know adopter fan base and things like that. One of them actually, Teals was getting pretty into multiverses mickey oh, yeah. um for you know our listeners but um you know he was trying to really get into it and push it really hard and i think it, it's it's fallen off a little bit do you do you think that there is sort of like a rise and fall that's very quick with the platform fighters um and if so you know how does rivals of either think about that in terms of like maintaining a steady steady fan base because it seems like you guys have grown um mm-hmm. and maintained a great fan base and obviously rivals 2 is coming out um you know 2024 it looks like so um how do you guys think about things in terms of like maintaining when the other platform fighters seem to be kind of rising and falling Mm. i think basically what i'm trying to do is just build a game that's fun like Mm -hmm. i even if nobody else played it right now i'm having a blast with rivals too like developing this game is so much fun just because we get to play it and i think when you make something like that people will gravitate towards it i I think i think that does make a huge difference is if if you know what you're designing is fun to play even you know i've played thousands of hours of it by now just because you know i have to but i'm still having fun i'm still you know discovering new things with it yeah i think gameplay can speak for itself in that regard yeah yeah great no great great answer right there real quick in terms of gameplay i i noticed just watching the trailers for rivals 2 um, and you mentioned one thing about rivals that makes it so unique is it's a very aggressive style game pairing no ledges things like that it looks yeah. like Rivals of Rivals Two. There's shields and grabs, right? Yeah. So, talk us through the idea of kind of implementing some of the more traditional, like Smash-oriented platform fighter mechanics. So, with the original Rivals, the reason it didn't have those things was not really like some grand design goal. It was because Dan was making the game by himself <laughs> and didn't have like the resources to make you know four different throws for each character. You know, program a grab state shields and all that like it's a lot of work to do all that stuff but now we have you know we have the resources to do that and also 
it's it's just more fun to me personally. It's it's the kind of game I want to make. Uh, specifically, when I play Rivals, the lack of shields throws my brain off so hard. Like, <laughs> it I has just, when I've played it too. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like you just you try to to play defensive. You know, your instinct is to want to block something if it's coming at you. Uh, and it's you know that's a lot of people's first impression of it when they see the game. It's like, oh, why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? And it also just makes it harder for new players, uh, specifically like ledges. Ledges, yeah, allow new players to recover. Like rivals one, you're never gonna recover if if I don't tell you how to recover, you're not going to. In rivals two, you can jump, grab the ledge. Yeah, you you'll make it. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really just um, a new, well, it's one, you're actually creating a space for new people to kind of, an entry point for new people that's a little bit closer to what they're used to. But also, it's funny, the explanation, just a re- actual, literally a resource reason yeah. <laughs> why the certain things weren't in the game in the first place, which then led to a pretty unique way of playing, a, a pretty unique development and like kind of style mm-hmm. that you described about Rivals 1 over time. That's That's really cool, really cool to hear. Mm-hmm. Love it. So we have a lot of listeners on this podcast that want are, you know, are very interested in game development. And really, I think a lot of people are. Um, what would you say is the best entry points for people trying to get into the space? I think just making a game. Like what, what I did was when I was in middle school, I took one class on how to like program. And it was not, not the best class, but I, I took it. <laughs> took what I learned from that. And then just started pumping out games. Like I made so many little small games just to like iterate on my skills like i wasn't trying to make some huge thing it was just you know make this little platformer make this top-down shooter all of that stuff and really that just got me so much experience in like basically it let me know what i needed to do to get into game development and you miss out on a lot of things if you teach yourself game development like that uh but that's where you know later in life you go to school for it you know take an actual class uh and i i think it's a pretty good way i'm i know i've heard a lot of people who haven't like gone to school for it and they they still make it in and they're doing great but that was definitely the path i took (laughs) because yeah yeah it's you know it's hard to teach yourself stuff like that i think yeah yeah and the the program you went to was Mm -hmm. the smu guild hall SMU yeah, Guildhall, yeah. got it, Which, got it. The year I went there, they became the number one grad school for game development in the world. Woo. Nice, woo, yeah, <laughs> good to celebrate right there. That's awesome. It. That's awesome, that's yeah. awesome. Right, I, had a, you, I had a quick, sorry, I just had a follow up, Lucas. Side, uh, sidebar on that one. No, go ahead, Matt, my bad, you go first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just wondering, you know, I, I'm actually reading a book right now called um, Press Start, and then I read another one previously called Blood, Sweat, and Pixel, kind of just highlighting the... I don't know if you're familiar, but it really just highlights um, a lot of like the challenges and the issues in game development and I guess kind of, you know, breaks the misconception because a lot of people will think, oh, I want to work in games. Like I love video games, so that's what I want to do for my job. Um, what would you say to those people? You know, is it, do you think there is a misconception about how great it is or isn't to work in games? Do you think it's all, you know, maybe not always sunshine and roses or does it really just depend on where you land? No, it's it's definitely not always sunshine and roses. That that is for sure. It it can be rough sometimes, uh, especially. So we're indie dev. Um, mm-hmm. So like for instance, finding funding as an indie dev so hard and so yeah. frustrating. Like, uh, it's it's rough out there. But 
I would say it's still worth it. Like, I would not trade my job for any other job. Like, there's no way. I'm making, like, the perfect game that I want to make. You know, I, I get to make gameplay design decisions about it. And I think that's part of what makes it so worth it for me is because I'm at the point where I'm directly influencing development. You know, I'm not just, like, programming random things that somebody tells me to program. And I think once you get to actually use your job as a creative outlet, you get this point where it's like everything was worth it, you know? Like, yeah, Inspi- yeah. truly inspiring words yeah. <laughs> there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, you clearly, I mean, you seem like you're just super, super passionate about the whole thing um, just mm-hmm. uh, from from start to finish. I, I just had a question kind of on, on the development cycle where you land because it sounds like you do a lot of things. You know, you've, you've been there for a very long time. Um, you know, I'm looking at just the Rivals of Aether website and your title. I don't know if it's title, but duties, programmer, designer and additional art. Trevor Youngblood. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's was... what we have here for you. Is that still accurate? <laughs> I kind of like, so right now I'm the lead programmer, lead gameplay designer, uh, I guess like the CTO technical, whatever. Uh But yeah, back in the day, I did do some of the art for Rivals 1. If you play the tutorial, there's this little orb that like, (laughs) you got to play the game. That was you? Nice, nice, nice. I'm sure some of our our, our audience will, will remember the orb. Um, my my question for you is, you know, just with everything that you've done, um, you know, where where would you describe in terms of like the pipeline for you? You know, are you on board? Like when you were doing some of that initial artwork, you know, is that artwork come in and then you end up programming that artwork down the line, you know, with what with your current duties. Now it seems like you're a little bit more in the later stages. So you kind mm-hmm. of separated from the art a little bit, but yeah, tell us about where you land in the pipeline for the, the whole development cycle there. Yeah. For rivals one. So the pipeline was basically, I was programming things and I needed art for it, but the artist was busy making new characters. So I was like, all right, I'll just make some temp art. So I would put, Stuff that like looked okay, like the like the little orb in the tutorial mode. Um, then I found out that we were keeping that for the final game, and I was like, "Oh wait, I need to make my temp art bad so that yeah. we can't keep it." Like, <laughs> I don't want this stuff making it into the game. So I made there's a there's a wave. So abyss mode is a mode in Rivals One where you just go bunch of crazy stuff happens. It's a single player like kind of PVE mode, mm-hmm. uh, and there's one where there's this big like bomb in the middle of the screen and you have to kill it before it explodes. And uh, I made it a giant chicken because I was like, no way, we're not keeping this in the game. Yeah, This is a giant chicken. And I think, I can't remember if we ever actually did this. Dan wanted to put some sort of little cheat code in there where you could get all my temp art back in the game. And <laughs> I, I'm not, I don't think we actually did it. I, we should. I'd love to see it. We, yeah, we, I think we'd all we love should. to see it. <laughs> but Hopefully now it's Rivals 2. It's like a... I guess I'm the one making decisions about the gameplay. So when we add shields, I'm the one making the decisions about like, what are your options out of shield? What does, you know, what is the trajectory of knockback? Stuff like that. It's like, I guess I'm right after Dan. Dan Dan's the person who's Vision. got the final say in everything. And then I'm right next. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Very cool. Is the official title Rivals 2? Yes. I'm noticing that's what it's okay. So it's Rivals mm-hmm. Two, not Rivals of Aether Two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's yeah, what's yeah. the um, sort of decision making process on that one? So we went back and forth on this a long time. Um, I was the one suggesting Rivals Two just because it's it's simpler. Like you read it, it's not hard to pronounce. Like no, everybody is always I don't know. 
it's it's a lot to digest when you read Rivals of Ether. And, or if somebody asked me, like, hey, what game are you working on? And now I don't have to say Rivals of Ether 2. It's too long. It's too yeah. many stories. Yeah. <laughs> Rivals 2 is simple. It gets to the point. Um, we were wondering, like, could we make it without the two? Because when you put a two, people think you have to play number one to play number two. But yeah. it's not, you know, it's not like it's that for us. Yeah. yeah, it is. I, I think... Um, Rivals 2 is definitely snappier, for sure, mm-hmm. than Rivals of Aether 2. Um, I think when I'm talking to people who know what Rivals of Aether... I think what's probably going to end up happening is over time, it's just going to become referred to as Rivals mm-hmm. in, you know, two, three years. It's just going to be called Rivals, what everybody's mm-hmm. playing. It's like no one calls it Dota 2, even though it is mm-hmm. technically Dota. It's just Dota, yeah. right? So I think it's kind of one of those scenarios that's going to end yeah, up happening. Yeah, that's true. Oh, good yeah. point. Good point. Um my question here too is just in you know in terms of rivals too it's i know it's coming out in 2024 that's what we see for the initial release date um what's the one thing (laughs) you would say to people to try it out you know for our audience uh, we have mostly like a single player um oriented game audience we play a lot of single player games but we got smash audience too that plays a lot of ultimate or you know pm melee and stuff what would you tell them to pitch them on rivals um if they play pm and melee i don't need to tell them anything just play it like you'll, you'll enjoy it like oh my god it's it's amazing every pm and melee player i've showed it to has been like wow oh uh, we got at genesis we got leffen and plup to play it oh what they, they think they oh, loved nice. it and i was like oh, oh nice and nice leffen, leffen said oh this feels really good and i was like yes <laughs> all i ever wanted to hear so how could we get that early access copy of rivals 2 is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> he's, ducking, he's ducking us, ducking us. Maybe soon. Maybe uh, if we're ever on the circuit or anything together, mm-hmm. maybe we could take it, give it a try. Yeah. And then uh, for, for people who don't play one of the other games, um, I'm actually not sure if we revealed this now, but we have we have stuff in mind for single player. Like Oh, nice. We're trying to do better than Rivals 1 because Rivals 1 single player was, uh, it was there. It existed. Uh-huh. That's about all I can say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I think... You know, it's kind of that weird middle ground, right? Where you want to develop single player content, but then 90% of your base is playing multiplayer. So it's, it Mm -hmm. becomes a resource decision, right? Yep. Exactly. Uh, So I totally get it. But, you know, just my hand up. I love single player content, even Mm -hmm. in fighting games. And you see the new Street Fighter looks like it has a robust single player content, too. So their character creator is the funniest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) It's becoming more, it's coming back a little bit when it comes to fighting games, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, like the single player modes and things like that. Still waiting on some sort of new, you know, subspace emissary. Necessary to yeah. mode for That's, I still Magic. think that was the best. So space was incredible. Yes. So good. It's so, like one so of the good. best, just like gaming memories. Honestly, mm-hmm. just playing through that over and over. Love yeah. it. Uh, Trevor, you know something we kind of brought up earlier was some of the differences between Project Dem and Melee. One of the key ones being, you know, obviously Melee's meta has really, really evolved very deeply over its existence because you know there's no patches. Whereas Project Dem, well. I know there's like P plus right now and all that, mm-hmm. but like, which is I think more or less static, but it, had, it did have a lot of development over the years and continuous patch releasing. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm curious for you, what is your philosophy around implementing patches um, into your game and, you know, nerfs or whatever onto your buffs, onto your characters as well? So what I usually do is I will mostly only focus on a character if they're, if they have some sort of strategy that's over centralizing. So if if a character, you know, all they do is this one thing every, you know, every time you're at zero percent, this character does this one exact thing every time. I think that's always worth addressing. Other than that, I'm actually pretty, pretty okay with not patching very frequently. I like to mostly because I do think there's a lot of knee jerk reactions when you put out a patch. 
Like, people are like, oh, man, Zetterburn sucks now. Like, oh, he's so bad. And then, like, we left the patch alone for, like, six months. And now, oh, yeah, he's great. We're doing great. I'm like, okay, cool. So, basically, you just can't trust what most people are saying. (laughs) You have to (laughs) really only take, like, if people have clips of it and, and you really, like, take the clip, analyze it, see is there anything else they could have done in this situation. And if not, then you look at it for balance changes. Oh, that's an interesting uh, design philosophy there. So you're looking at more like if people are becoming too routine based on certain moves, that's when you might really address that that move. It's like yeah. too good or too consistent or anything like that. And and stuff like that is why I find Melee so impressive because there's really not not a lot of over-centralizing strategies. I mean, there there are, but they're so difficult to do that it, it doesn't really happen in real life as much. Right. And they're situational too, depending on mm-hmm. the stage, depending on the matchup and things yeah, like that. Exactly. Uh, if, just, if there was one thing you could patch about Melee, what would it be? <laughs> Great question. Ooh, let me see. I would give it more stages, honestly. <laughs> okay. They just need more stages and then just kill FD. And you're good. Oh, you don't like FD? Really? Not an FD fan? <laughs> no. I, I don't hate it as much as most people do, but the PM community right now is trying to change the stage. Not like trying to. Like some regions are changing the stage list to remove FD and singles. And uh, Really? Yeah. It's it's interesting. Man, that that is interesting. I I like FD personally. I think yeah. it's just like well, it's cause I don't you're know. Marth main. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I mean <laughs> I, like just chain grabbing spaces on FD in melee was is just the greatest mo- the greatest feeling yep. in the world. So can't can't yep. get rid of that. Um, <laughs> I, I had a question real quickly in terms of moves. Um, you know when it comes to fighting games, I mean I, I've played a lot of fighting games over the years, not just the platform fighters, but um, grinded out. Um, even like Dragon Ball Fighters for several years there and got a fight stick, the whole thing. Nice. When it comes to fighting games, you know, it's usually like, you know, big strong move, a lot of cooldown, a lot of like, um, you know, downtime when it comes to like frames and things like that. When you're designing moves for a character, are you thinking like, okay, here's the big move. This is a haymaker punch. It's got a lot of end lag right here. Are you like, is it as simple as sort of deciding that way or how much tweaking goes in? Like, are you oh. going like, oh, it needs way more frames or do you think mm-hmm. you get it right on the first time? Oh, it's it's rare to get it right on the first time, but usually there there's not like one number that will be the perfect number. Like you can you could add like three frames or subtract three frames from a move's recovery, and it'll still be mostly the same. Like you know, depending on what move it is. But I'm also of the opinion that moves are allowed to be really good as long as the rest of the character is you know taking that into consideration. So like for instance, like Marth down tilt. You know, mm-hmm. really long range move like zero end leg right and it's it's fine like you know there's there's ways to move around it you know this it comes with its own drawbacks so that that's another part is a move can have other things to balance it besides just the frame data gotcha yeah. gotcha and then when you're thinking about making a move um like when you go like this is a longer range type of move or like mm-hmm. that marth down tilt you know it's got a disjointed hitbox or something like that yeah. do you know like the formula for disjointed hitbox this this much startup this much recovery and stuff like that or that's yeah. always kind of a science versus art type of thing that you're always thinking about it, it's really it's, it's funny because if you look at rivals one frame data um, Dan made a lot of that and it's just so fast like yeah <laughs> so fast and then I tried using that as a base for when I started Rivals 2 and it was it was insane how fast everything was so I, I toned it down but when I did that I'm realizing that a lot of things it really is like you know if you have a sword move that has this much range it has to have at least you know six frames of startup or whatever 
you can't give like a three frame jab to Marth. Or I don't even. Marth might have a three frame jab. I don't even know. <laughs> he might. But if if Marth jab was better, because jabs and rivals are insane, because you can cancel them into tilts. It's you know changes so much of the balance. So it's funny because I can't actually look at smash frame data as reference because we have so many mechanics that are just like slightly different. Um, that if it would you break. Gave, yeah, if you gave our characters smash frame data, they would be absolutely busted. Like, I can't even imagine some of the things. Like, Falco, if you just put Falco in Rivals, he would be crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. Are are there, um, and my apologies, not being too, too familiar with the whole mm-hmm. cast currently with Rivals. I played Rivals very early on quite a mm-hmm. bit. at the. Actually, there was um, Rivals brackets at the balcony way back in the day yeah, in orange county was. when we used to play which was which was really a great way to introduce a lot of the community to, to rivals um are there characters where you you see them in smash even in like a newer smash like ultimate or something you go wow that design philosophy really really shine through that's a fun character to play in that context let's see what we can do in the rivals context for that character oh Has yeah. there been some direct inspiration there Oh yeah, we definitely do that. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, we have like we have our chic, we have our marth What's funny is we don't really have a fox. Like Zetterburn, he has a shine. He has foxes, yeah. ugly, but he his playstyle is not fox. It's closer to like Captain Falcon, honestly. You uh, guys don't. You guys aren't trying to put a Steve in there anytime soon. No. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the thing. Don't say that to Dan because he will do it. And I will have to talk him out of it. This is this is like half of my job is talking Dan out of crazy ideas. <laughs> like, oh, That's awesome. I, I want to give examples, but I can't because there's still a chance that we might do them. You know, <laughs> some stuff will make it in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but some of the characters we have already are insane. Uh, like the the snake in a mech, Eliana. She is just a wacky character. Like something something. <laughs> close to what you would expect with like steve it's it's crazy but it's you know it's one of those designs a lot of the times i have to just trust dan when he's making those crazy designs like that sounds kind of broken and then we actually try it and it's it's a little broken but it's workable yeah 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 well one one more question and then matt you Mm -hmm. could you can kind of dive back in but when it comes to game design i listened to um a really great podcast by the magic the gathering creator called um drive to work um uh, well, not the Magic the Gathering creator, but the current head designer for Wizards of the Coast. And he has this whole concept of like, you want to, players want excitement when it comes to new things, right? And the challenging thing as a game designer is that you're trying to, you, you can play as safe as possible. You can just release a new character that's safe, that no one's going to be mad about, that no one's going to be like, say is broken and things like yeah. that. But that's not exciting. You got to get people to kind of, you got to come right up to the line of something that's broken and pull back a little bit. Do you find that philosophy coming through a lot in your game design with yeah. rivals all the time? Every character, yeah, every single character, because it really is like, you could just make, you know, melee two, right? Yeah, but nobody's gonna play it because melee one exists. Or you can make a character that's super balanced, you know, has has really cool attacks, but nobody's gonna play it if it's not fun. Uh, and that was actually something I struggled with when I first joined the team because I was designing uh, some of the characters when I joined, um, and I would make them, and they were basically just they were cool, they had their own thing, but they weren't like rivals characters. And then Dan would come in and just like add a little bit of spice on top of the character. I'm like, <laughs> all right, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, going yeah, right up to the Claren. line. Like, uh, Claren was the first full character I designed. Like, I made her whole moveset. And then the stun. So what she is, is she's a character with a sword. And her tip of her sword, like Marth, uh, is where you want to hit. But when you hit it, it stuns people. 
Um, it's like a little little short stun. All it does is multiplies their hit paws or whatever. But originally, the stun was like super short. Like just it gives you a little bit more of a frame advantage. And it was it was balanced, but it was you know not that unique. Dan came in and was like, "What if we just like multiplied the stun by like five? To where like <laughs> they're really stunned there. Like not enough to where you can get a like a forward smash or anything on them, just kill them just out of every stun. But it was it was enough." to really change the game and make the character fun. And I think that was when I actually learned that, oh, you can just put broken stuff on a character and it's fine because every character has broken stuff. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's broken, so no one's broken kind Mm of (laughs) fun fun aspect of it. (laughs) It's funny how true that is, though. Like, a lot of people think that it's just like, you know, oh, you can't actually put broken characters in a game. But no, you really can. I've done it. (laughs) (laughs) that's great i love i honestly i love to hear that because i've always been a fan of that like that was one thing that i always appreciated when i played melee and then played pm Mm -hmm. like every when i first started playing pm it was like uh, you play against somebody you go like holy shit that's broken or like oh my god why'd they put that in the game and then you realize everyone kind of has a version of that and it kind of makes the game a little bit more fun and balanced and things like that the characters who don't have it nobody plays them because they're not (laughs) yeah yeah Mm mm-hmm yeah, that's a, that's a good point because something that you know, like melee versus Project Dem, and in some way, pretty much every character in Project Dem is turn, tournament viable, basically. Whereas you know, people will try in melee, but you're never going to see like a Bowser or whatever, yeah. or a Kirby <laughs> in Grand Finals. Yeah. Which is uh, yeah, that's a really good point, Trevor. I know you're a huge Haikyuu fan, so I've heard. Um, <laughs> on, according to your Twitter, too. According to your Twitter, yeah. yeah. I, so the number one haiku <laughs> fan in the world. It's the best show ever. Everybody needs to watch it. <laughs> it. It's yeah. I remember right when COVID started was when I started watching it actually, and I think I burned through the first three seasons, which is like fifty something episodes of anime yeah. in like three days. Like, <laughs> and it wasn't even like a weekend. Like I was working during those days, and then just like staying up till two a.m. watching high schoolers play volleyball in Japan. Like it was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think Haikyuu has a lot of, you know, attempts to be a very, like, inspirational anime and has a, kind of a lot of lessons about, um, obviously, about, like, sports and competitions, but also just kind of honing your craft and things like that. So what's one lesson, for, if any, from Haikyuu that you've taken that's helped you in your career as a game developer? Oh, man, that's a tough one. <laughs> uh Hold on, give me one sec. I got to think of it, the most inspirational moment. Because it's it's Hinata. Obviously, it's going to be Hinata. Because Hinata is the best. We love Hinata. Uh, I guess it's just like, man, you really just got to have the heart for it. And when you do have the heart for it, you just, you know, it becomes your world. Like, for me, you know, programming platform fighters is like what I, what I feel like I'm meant to do, you know? Like, it's, it's that sort of inspiration that really drives me to like jump up and hit that spike straight down, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough question though. That's a hard one. I'm sure yeah. there's a lot yeah. of subconscious things that I've kind of bled in, you know, or like yeah. kind of using them in your daily life regularly, you know, mm-hmm. 
Awesome. All right. Uh, Lucas, do you got any more questions? I think I think that's it, man. I mean, just whenever you can, we'd love that uh, advanced copy of Rivals too. Dude. Just whenever, <laughs> yeah, whenever yeah. it could happen. I know, I know, you got a long development cycle that you're going for, but I was watching some of the trailers a little bit to prep for this interview, and I was getting pretty hyped um, about pretty some sweet. of the recent yeah, stuff. Yeah, whenever so. we, if we start a, like a closed beta, I got you. Yes, oh, yes. Yeah, thank I you, thank it. you. <laughs> awesome, well, cool. Trevor. Yeah. Well, Trevor, you know, any last words for the people? Any where can we find you? Anything at all? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter at Captain Youngblood. C A P N Youngblood. It's uh, pretty much all I'm on. I don't even post anything. I'm just there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just nice. uh, oh, go wishlist Rivals Two on Steam. We could use that. Oh yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, great so, call out right there. We'll definitely do that right after this call. Yeah. Does that? What kind of metric does that like? Is that uh, any like? A, is that a beneficial metric to be able to say we have X amount of wishlists? Mm-hmm. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Great. Gotcha. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. If, if we're like looking for investors or something, it'll you know gotcha. they'll look at that and be like, oh okay, cool. This this might pop. Makes off. sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're telling cool. we're telling the listeners right away. Listeners, go out there. Go wish list rivals too yeah. on Steam. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Trevor, and hope you all enjoyed the episode. Skibbity bop. Thanks for playing as a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna, and our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch and Red Circle 